Welcome to another episode of the Front End Happy Hour podcast. In today's episode, we are joined by Jerome to talk with us about serverless. Jerome, can you give us a brief introduction of who you are, what you do, and what your favorite happy hour beverage is? Roger that. My name is Jerome Hardaway. I am a dev advocate at Quicken Loans by day, and at night I am the Geek at Arms or Executive Director, whichever way you want to call it, uh, Vetsu Code. At, um, so basically, like a broke version of Batman. So I'd be Arrow. Um, my drink of my drink of choice is a classic. I always, it's the only one I drink. It's Hibiki Harmony. It's a Japanese whiskey. So good. Yes, it's so smooth. It's so, like, what have you, where have you been all my life? So, like, that's what I'm actually drinking right now. Uh, <laughs> Very nice. <laughs> all right. Well, let's also give introductions of today's panelists. Augustus, you want to start it off? Yeah, sure. Uh, my name is Augustus. I'm a software engineer at Twitch. Stacy London, Senior Front-End Engineer at Atlassian. Jem Young, Senior Software Engineer at Netflix. And I'm Ryan Burgess. I'm a Software Engineering Manager at Netflix. In each episode of the podcast, we'd like to choose a keyword that if it's mentioned at all in the episode, we will all take a drink. So what did we decide today's keyword is? API. API. All right. So if we say API from now on, we will all take a drink. Well, let's hop into serverless. What is serverless? Can someone please describe what is serverless? It's when someone at work starts speaking Greek and they're like, lambdas. (laughs) 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 Oh, man. Um, Serverless is a practice of instead of having, thank goodness this isn't a uh, word to drink on, instead of having like a, like, hard server that you're putting all your data on you're having something in the cloud another someone else's server serverless is the uh practice of using uh servers that and apis and cloud technologies cheers cheers yeah so using uh apis and cloud technologies to serve data to the web right handle all your data in the cloud via nba API says two times, right? I'm really Cheers. Bad. Cheers. Cheers. <laughs> I had a long day at work, so this is great. Like, how is that different than I make a website, I put those files in the cloud? Like, how would it be different than that? Like, the, the traditional way we sort of think about deploying a website to the cloud or putting it somewhere. I mean, FTP into the yeah, that's what I was thinking. <laughs> Oh, yeah. Like, when you were saying to the cloud, I was like, oh, that's like, like, it's either how people. Because I actually, it's been four score and seven years ago since I even touched FTP, right? Like, that's like crazy old school. So, you think of FTP and putting your files, like, someplace in, like, a hard, like, core, like, situation. Like, oh, here is my files, and I'm dragging and dropping, and I'm waiting to they down, um, upload. And then, I'll hopefully, I'll cache. And it takes 20, 30 minutes, right? Well, when you're thinking of serverless and things that is you have i'll go off the most simple format right um one of my favorites so i like to the first thing i introduce my students to is search right search.sh so they build their they build their uh website then they go into cl into the cli and they use surge uh which is a search you know a service that that 
takes their tools, turns it all into a CDN, and then shoots it the internet with its own domain name that you can either mask or you can make up on the fly. They come up with like really crazy domain names like everybody else. So uh, that is like the biggest, like it's easier, it's faster, it's leaner, right? I think that's the biggest, and it's empowering, right? I think that's the biggest W uh, for, especially those who are coming in front and game from a modern perspective. It's just so much leaner for the new, uh, for the newer devs to come in and they're like, hey, I can actually like spend eight bucks on a domain name and use Netfly and Search and Contentful and that, that's it and have my blog up and running in like a week right and these are all like serverless tools that help you know headless cmss and things of that nature they empower the front end and that's kind of what makes me excited about them i i think uh your your definition is solid on serverless i i think to make it a little more clear because some of it is like man i'm new to the game i have no idea what you're talking about like what is all that that cool stuff like making it even simpler it's the idea of like you write a function right the function takes an input produce an output right basic functional programming so imagine taking that function and being able to upload it somewhere so that it responds to internet requests. So it's not just your machine, it's anybody. And that's the basic idea behind serverless is, yeah, you can do that. You just take an input, give an output, except you don't have to worry about any of the in-between state. It just works. And then you can update it quickly over time. So it's pretty powerful stuff. Uh, what I find fascinating, and Jerome, you're, you're, you're touching on it, is like, all right, 15 years ago, to make a web page, you needed to be a front-end engineer. Like you needed to be an engineer. You need to have skills. You need to know HTML, CSS, a little bit of JavaScript. That has since changed. We have like Shopify and uh, Squarespace. Anybody can make a website now. It doesn't take any skills. Okay, so 10 years, five years ago, if you wanted to play a server to actually do custom stuff beyond like a WordPress site, you need to be a front-end engineer. You need to know that sort of thing. You need to know how to deploy a server, all these things. Now in 2020, you don't need any of that. So you can build an entire web page, style it how you want, all that, deploy it, deploy it to multiple regions, have CDNs, have fallbacks and all that stuff, and never know any of the other stuff. You don't even need to be a front end engineer as much anymore. I I think it's like the tale of the of serverless is uh and we'll talk about serverless, like how I hate the name, but the, the tale of that is just how front end keeps evolving. And like if you don't keep your skills fresh, you will get left behind because you're like, oh yeah. When's the last time you met someone who's, who called themselves a webmaster? Like, remember that. <laughs> I remember that. That's, 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 exactly. that's a good point. I am legit spending my <laughs> early mornings training a team of webmasters and turning them into <laughs> web developers. So it still exists out there. The further you get away from tech hubs, you start seeing these roles again. So, yeah, like... A serverless helps with that bandwidth, right? Of like, oh, I'm UX, but I want to be able to serve to the web, and I really don't want you know to spend a lot of time learning something new. So, like I said, I mean, it just comes back to like that whole story of how serverless is empowering, right? It's just it gives the front end superpowers, especially the newer generation of guys and girls that are coming behind us, so they can focus on things like learning, like going deeper into the language and uh, learning the, you know, other gotchas that we can, all the, how to fix all the problems we left behind for them, like all the bad accessibility things we screwed up and other websites. <laughs> so like they can come behind us and like learn that stuff without having to learn, like how to deal with the pain of FTP. Cause you guys remember 
FTP versus now? Like, oh yeah, <laughs> I'm not gonna lie. I've, I've still used it in like the past year. Like it's happened still where useful. I've been definitely do it. Still it's useful. still useful. Okay. I 100% agree with the points on like serverless just being a lot more straightforward and you know just the amount of work that it would take even domain forwarding or just dealing with all those those little details that it was so hard to get your dot com up and running i mean it's not hard but it's like you needed to know how to do that and how to deal with name servers and make sure that it's all going to the right place and it's really frustrating when it doesn't work because it's not easy to debug if you barely knew what you were doing in the first place so i think a lot of that makes sense but you know what else is really good too is serverless works for large companies too. Like we're touching on right now talking about just the individual, but serverless is used by many large companies for a lot of great reasons too. Like there's a, there's benefits in scale. Yes. And same thing with the small place, you know, maybe it is a Shopify site like Jem mentioned and it starts blowing up and getting all this traffic and, you know, you need to put more servers behind. It's really easy in a serverless environment. You can scale up or scale down really quickly, which is great. Or like tools like serverless uh, tools that help you like, you know, fastly, right? A CDN or like masking your front end, right? So that when, you know, you hit a surge and everybody's like, oh, like your site's amazing but you don't have the t- while you're spinning up more ser- uh, imaginary servers uh you're able to use fastly to like oh like they're hitting especially when they're not signed in they used to do this at comic book if they weren't signed in they would get the fastly version the cache version of the site served via fastly right which is a one giant cdn and because like these tools, they just they help save save money. They help save time, especially when we had a what we would call a runner, like an article that like you know people everybody was on. I never forget uh, Brandon Davis did something like he's a big person in like comics and stuff um, on the interwebs. You gotta go follow him on Twitter. He wrote an article that was maybe two sentences long that became a runner and almost broke the site. And it wasn't for the serverless technology. So being able to go to AWS, uh, make more servers um, on it, while also ensuring that we were like sending everyone that wasn't signed in to the cache version of the website via Fastly, the site would have went down. And I never forget, like, I was just in his DMs, like, thanks a lot, jackass. Like, whatever. I don't even remember. I think it was something about Wolverine at that time. I was like, yo, this dude almost... You know, broke the internet by talking about Hugh Jackman. Like, what, what's going on here? Uh- <laughs> That's wild, too. It's like those little things can happen. Just a small thing that you didn't you didn't plan for blowing up. Like that's really hard. It's hard to plan for what goes viral. Like everyone's always like, I'm going to create the next viral uh, video or something like that. It's impossible. I mean, like you can't set out to do that. It just happens organically and Good on all the people that it's happened for. That's really awesome. You had mentioned like something like Fastly. Great, great point is like you can use a CDN uh, really easily. But also the whole serverless world too is great in the fact that you can now have servers deployed across the world. And so you can have less latency. So if I'm in the US, I'm likely hitting a server that is in the US. Okay, well, Netflix, I think it's a worldwide, you know, people, people watch Netflix across <laughs> the world. If someone's in 
in Japan, they're not hitting the US servers because that doesn't make a lot of sense. It's like that would cause latency. And so that you can now have deployed across the world, which is huge. I think that's just a win rate in itself. I think too. that also like, you know, because of serverless and having being, having people be able to be deployed, having the tool being able to be in the website being able to be deployed across the world, it helps makes internet international internationalization a lot uh, easier. Right. Like, you know, you know, like only these resources need to be deployed to this particular country because, hey, you know, their language and their ways of using the web. Because like, I think that was the great first thing when it came to FTP and like websites and like especially big web apps. That was the first like experience I had. I was like, yo, this is crazy how we're doing like serving to the web. Uh uh, I was working on a franchising app, and every country had to have its own app. That's how they wanted it to. Do, they wanted to do it, and just learning how you know people in Japan use the web and like zip codes. Like you know, they have every block is a zip code. I had no idea, and I was like lost. Was like, what, how am I supposed to do this? How am I supposed to figure this out? And how you know you're staying up at certain times to make sure you do deployments when their traffic is down, right? So in like AWS, for instance, you don't have to do that. It tells you could just time it and it handles all of that stuff automatically, right? You just set the timer or you have someone deploy it. Like who doesn't who remembers the days of like waiting till like midnight to deploy a website or to update a website just to ensure to avoid the like mass surge and if there was a problem you can fix it without all your <laughs> users you know seeing that problem yeah absolutely now it's like well you could try that but when you are a global company when's the right time when's that when's that midnight the midnight doesn't exist yeah, the midnight moves right yeah so um and just being, and not only that, being able to like with serverless technologies, you can, you know, you can stack and stagger resources and assets when you're moving them, right? Like you can, like being able to figure out what's critical and uncritical in serving that has never been uh, as easy as it is now with serverless technologies, right? You know, so figuring out like those that above the fold content that the users need and what needs to be first and be fast to ensure that your user doesn't hate you. Uh, like serverless helps with all that. You know, AWS is bathed when trying to make sure, you know, <laughs> your users stay. Like I'm like, I'm dropping bars. Like, it's, it's, I promise. <laughs> I really wasn't trying to rhyme, but look, that's something where I can think of. Like, yo, bars, what's up? I love it. We need some beats behind this. <laughs> we should, um... To shift the discussion slightly, I like to have a more meta discussion, as we usually do. Uh, so one thing, and, and you all have been touching on this, is like the ease of doing things that was previously extremely difficult or required a lot of training or required a lot of money up front. And now you don't need to do that anymore. Like, for instance, having a multi-availability zone on Amazon is used to be really difficult because that means you had to set up a server in each specific region and then like maintain all those, make sure they and all that stuff. But now all that's done for you. Like you can do it automatically, like, which is really powerful. So the discussion I'd be interested in hearing your thoughts on are, how are we the only industry that does this? So I'm gonna get a little technical here. Are you familiar with the f concept of regulatory capture? 
Maybe I'll just explain it anyways, just because like yeah, it's podcast. So I, I, <laughs> you I, all I are, you might know, nope. but like <laughs> we are no all idea. shaking our heads. No, the idea of regulatory capture is a special interest group, or in this case, let's say developers. We go to politicians and say like, hey, if you want to call yourself an engineer or developer, you need to get this special certification, and the certification costs twenty thousand dollars because it's worth it. We we get paid a lot of money. So politicians are like, yeah, that's that's right. Probably everybody shouldn't be engineers. So let's create the special permitting process and all those things. So then right there, we've created reg- regulatory capture. Only people who can afford to pay this bar and cross this hurdle and pass this test that we've established can become engineers. And of course, that's not the case with software engineering in America. There's no certification. You could go from a banker yesterday to a, a engineer tomorrow. Uh an example of this in real life is we see people that need permits to do people's hair. So in many states, actually, I think a bunch of states, to braid someone's hair, you need a special permit. You need licensing yeah. and you need all these things. And I know if you're sounding skeptical, like, that's crazy. That's not a doctor. It's it's like doing hair or, or nails or something like that. We had a big lawsuit in Tennessee about that. Um, a young woman in Knoxville was getting sued because she didn't have a license for braiding and... They hit her with like a fine that was like five times more than the license. It was really wild. So when you're asking about in terms of the regulatory capture, first, like when it comes to when it comes globally in regulatory capture, that's a very hard moving post because regulatory capture, when it comes to special politics, it doesn't just fall on politicians, it falls on communities, right? Um, I've, like, I've shared this earlier. We're the last like frontier when it comes to treating tech as a trade right you go to uh, any you go to places like for instance where there's free uh, college well then they use the free college as the quote-unquote regulatory capture to get the jobs right oh you don't have a cs degree you can't become an engineer Simple as that boom right you're in uh you're in germany free college uh you don't have cs degree no becoming no becoming an engineer right there's nothing you can do about it right no matter how much code you've written in your life i had a veteran i actually helped him today and uh get he's my 253rd veteran he was in finland and was writing code and he couldn't get a job because he didn't have a cs degree and because her college is free but he's like i'm american of course i don't i don't qualify for that stuff so um, but now he's like, he's gotten two jobs in America now. But so when we talk about that and we talk about the idea of serverless, uh, like I think like the AWS certification does come to mind like immediately for regulatory capture because I know, especially on my side of the fence, when it comes to people like certs are still being pushed to minorities and people who come from underrepresented communities, right? Like, you, you see certifications and stuff being pushed all the time. And AWS, it's really weird because I've worked in AWS and I've never had a cert. And I see people who, they don't even think they can get a job without certification. That idea, like, is going all over, like, you know, po- like politicians keeping people from doing it. It's very, it's very weird and very unique. Or even the idea of, like, companies, like, keeping you from doing it. And when it comes to serverless... It's very weird. Like I feel like serverless keep like it's mitigating gatekeeping to a degree. Uh, I think that's one of the reasons why I love it. I'm interested to hear your thoughts when it comes to serverless and regulatory capture. Because- yeah, like, uh, and you brought up a lot of good points there. It, like the idea of regulatory capture is essentially people in power 
stay in power and they get more power. So communities that are historically disenfranchised or uh, people that have not been paid as much as white men historically are generally affected the most by this. Where it comes back to serverless, it's that we are the only, by far, and I would like to know if there's other examples, but we're the only career that doesn't do this. In fact, we actively make it easier for people to join. Like serverless takes so much out of the equation. So like you're some guy in uh, Bend Fork, Tennessee. I want to create a web page to sell something or I just want to blog. Now we actively as engineers create the tools to make that easier so that there is no gatekeeping. There's no capture. You want to create the next big web page? You can do it. And we... We're the only ones that do this. Like, you don't see bankers making it easier to become bankers. You don't see uh, lawyers making it easier <laughs> to become lawyers. Point. You're absolutely right. Huh. I don't. You, I don't see anyone. We try. We try and program our way out of our jobs, right? We, yeah, that's true. <laughs> that's true. Or even to build upon that point, the the service making it more from like a monetary perspective, it's cheaper to only pay for what you use, which is kind of a lot that is associated with serverless. And so right. it's making it more, um, you know, reducing price free, the internet's free, like all these things that kind of make it like available to anybody, regardless of your, your class or status or how much money you have. And, you know, this, this is like a thing that's making it more accessible to, to more people. Absolutely. You've all sold me serverless is great, but what are the drawbacks? There's gotta be some, there's, there's always pros and cons. What are the drawbacks serverless? What are the drawbacks of serverless? I think the volatility of the market right now, like there's so many things, right? There's so many competitors. You have Google with Firebase, you have Vercel, you have Netify, you have AWS, you have Azure, uh, you have Google Cloud Platform, like Google's like doing it, you know, they're doing a three-peat on it. So, you know, just making that decision, right? There's a lot of decision bloat, right? Like, you know, as front ends, you know that, hey, you know, HTML, CSS, JavaScript. And then you will have like maybe three, four, if you're being generous, like front uh, frameworks to choose from on the front end side. So, uh, you know, maybe if you wanted to throw Ember a bone, like you like, okay, which <laughs> like framework? <laughs> what, Don't tell them at LinkedIn. They will, uh, they will take <laughs> issue with that. Hey, uh, I have issue with LinkedIn using Ember. So like we can like, we can hash it out. Like we can talk about it. So <laughs> um, I'm not a fan of that decision. Like, but I think like that decision blow, like one of the reason, one of the things that attracted me to front end was the lack of decisions I had so I could focus on a deeper process, right? Everything in the end was HTML, CSS, JavaScript. So I could get into these theories of HTML, CSS, JavaScript from uh, design systems for enterprise apps to uh, accessibility to uh, perf when it came to JavaScript. And then when it came to initially, AWS was like the biggest player on the serverless game. So it just was that one thing, how to surf the web. Then search came. I'm like, oh, snap, I can do this even easier. Then Netify came. And then people talking about headless CMSs. And then uh, Vercel came. I was like, oh, my goodness. Now, like, when a new person asks me which service should they use, I'm like, I'm going to tell you what I use. I recommend you play with them all and decide which one speaks to you yourself yeah no i i was gonna say yeah there's like a lot of overhead 
with so many decisions. And also, I feel like this is going to be awkward middle of this episode. I still sometimes like not really sure how to define serverless because there's so many ways you could view serverless. Like, I guess the definition I'm going off of is you do not have to manage your own server. So it's actually hilarious because when we talk about FTP, I'll just define it for people who don't know. It's like file file transfer and you would use, you used to have to like drag. Like I remember I dragged like index.html. I forgot the, the freaking program I used, but it's like, that's probably something so foreign to, but yeah, kind of like what I was saying, like at least this is so my definition of serverless is, you know, you don't have to manage your own servers. And I'll say that I, I would say one of the drawbacks is, you know, just as much as like not having to manage your own servers and getting all the awesome benefits of auto scaling are great. Like, let's say you did get viral and you did auto scale like it, it's it can be very expensive if you're not managing it closely. Like um, this is like why. Like, you still need to pre-provision resources um, and stuff like that. Like, you shouldn't just let the auto-scaling group handle it for you, right? Like, uh, it, it can be very, very expensive. Funny, too, is another drawback I was thinking about. You know, I think there's always fear, especially when I think about it from larger companies, is now you're relying on yet another company. Like, back in the day, I don't know about all you, I have actually set up my own little web server, and it was legitimately a little tower that I would run, and I had control over that. There was times it went down, but I could debug and figure that out. But when it is in the cloud, or it's, you know, you're now relying on a third party to deal with this. And I think it maybe it's not as big of a deal when it's a smaller site, but when you're thinking of large applications, like a lot of companies rely on AWS. If Amazon has any problem, that could take down a lot of websites across the board. It that does. And I think so like and that did happen. You guys remember it when did. That, that junior programmer somehow like pushed the wrong code and he took down half the East Coast? That was hilarious. <laughs> I'm sorry. That's a big deal, right? Like that's like that can be problematic for a lot of companies. You're losing money well, yeah. because of that error that happened. I, I even laugh like and Jem's gonna laugh at me for it, but my house runs on the internet. Like there's a <laughs> lot of things when you start to move to everything <laughs> IoT, it's like yeah, you lose the internet and you're like, oh my goodness, like this is a pain in the ass. And so it's like those types of things. We all start to rely on these services so heavily. One of the drawbacks of serverless is you give people the capability to do things which they do not have the, they don't have the skill to fully grasp. Like, uh, you know, if I, if I gave my six month old, I don't know, a thousand dollars that there's a lot you can do with a thousand dollars, but to him, he's like, oh, cool. And he just probably throw it or drop it and then move on to the next thing. Play with the box. Eat it. Probably play with the box. Probably try to eat it first. And, <laughs> but uh, that's that's the, I guess the one of the drawbacks of serverless is it gives you so much power and you can create a website and all these things and you can get really far. You can build these complex, beautiful applications. But if something goes wrong, you may not have the skill to handle that and debugging. I, I, I would argue part of an engineer's skill, actually the larger part of a good engineer's skill is the ability to debug things. Anybody can create things. Like, I can hit a button and create a web page, blah, blah, blah. But can I fix it if it goes wrong? And that's where I see people kind of writing themselves into a corner a bit more, where they're they're using all these great technologies and game-changing, life-changing technologies, but 
if you were to ask them like any more than a surface level question, they don't know. They're just like, I don't know. It, it, it goes somewhere, but you know, and it just works. And people say like, you're an engineer, right? I'm like, yeah, but you know, I only know this. And that may be okay if you're your basic web page, but I see this bubbling up more in interviews where people are like, oh, I did this and I pulled this web page and I did this. I'm like, cool. Tell me about a bit about networking. Like, how did you transfer from HTTP two to HTTP three? And they're just like nothing there. Like, it's just God. It's like such a very narrow skill set. And I, I worry people become so involved in one thing they never broaden outside of that, and they don't learn like the fundamentals behind that. Wait, let me do, let me do a Ryan. So that was a great conversation about serverless. Uh, and like, I really hope uh, we can we can get some links from you, Jerome, by the end. Uh, and now let's transition to picks. At every episode of Front and That was like <laughs> pretty on point. All right. So good. So that was a good, uh, interesting conversation. Uh, thanks, Jim, for uh, summarizing that. Uh, I think it's about time we jump into picks. For each episode, we love to share picks that, of things that we find interesting. It can be anything. It might even be about serverless. But if it's not, it doesn't matter. We're going to share fun picks for you all to find out about. Uh, I'll start out. I only have two. Um, the first one is a television show. It is on, I know, don't hate me, Amazon Prime Video. Uh, before I go into this, AWS. This show, uh, can I just say how terrible Prime Video is? Like, literally once oh, yeah. a week I have to unplug my TV because, like, the app just dies and it will not start. It doesn't do anything. When I restart my TV, it starts in, like, a help message saying your internet's out and then it switches to German. I'm just like, my, my wife has to deal with this all the time, but I'm just like, come on. Come on, Prime Video. You've been doing this for a long time now. Get better. Anyways, <laughs> if you go through all that, there's a show on Amazon Prime uh, called The World's Toughest Race Eco Challenge. It's hosted by Bear Grylls, and it's 66 teams of four people trying to race across Fiji. Uh, and when I first started, I was like, how hard can this thing be? I could probably do that. And then I couldn't. <laughs> I, I'll just say I couldn't. Like I, I got a lot of ego, but I can just tell you I couldn't. It is really fascinating to see how far people can push themselves and just like four or five days, no sleep covering hundreds of miles. It, it is, it's worth watching. It, it is, it sucks you in and then it just keeps going. So that's the world's toughest race, Eco Challenge Fiji. My second pick is uh, Valley Silicon pick. That is the pick where I pick things that only exist because we just get paid too much money here. Otherwise they shouldn't exist. How much would you pay for a window in your house? I don't know, a couple hundred right. dollars. Maybe? I'm sorry, Jim. Windows are actually pretty expensive. They are. Yeah, yeah. But what if you just wanted to add a window anywhere, anywhere? You didn't. You didn't need to cut a oh. hole. Like even if there was a wall already. Even that if there's a be, wall. Yeah, it's pretty pricey. I would say that's pretty pricey, right? Yeah. It's expensive to add a window. So yeah. this company called Daylight Windows, they will sell you a fake window that includes a <laughs> fake light behind it for the low, low price. $435. What? That, that's a deal, right? You can put a fake window anywhere. It'll, what does it even mean? It doesn't mean anything. I mean, fake I, window. May, maybe you feel better about yourself. I, I don't know. Maybe, maybe this helps people. I shouldn't, I shouldn't criticize. How big, is, how big is the window? Because like, I also feel like, what's the price of a like LCD? Right? You could make a window just by throwing a, a TV on your wall. I, I Like... I don't know. Maybe, maybe if you live in a basement and you need like, you if you're feeling bad that you you got this basement apartment and you're regretting it now with no windows and you buy a bunch of these, you might feel better. I don't know. 
it to me it seems kind of ludicrous for a fake window with some leds to be 435 dollars but that's why this is valley silicon and that's why i make these crazy crazy sorry i shouldn't use the word crazy i, would, I use these wild maybe, wild picks i would maybe pay a hundred dollars i'd pay like 25 I wouldn't pay anything for a fair window. I'm with Jerome. I would. I was. I was trying to be nice. I would go outside. Like, what is going on? Like, I'm so confused right now. Wow. I guess I'll go next because you just. Wow. Um. So I'm gonna have. A, I have a technical pick first. A serverless a CSSTricks.com. If you're a front end and you love. You want to learn more about uh, serverless, like CSS Tricks, Chris Coyer, he has an entire like website about it. I don't remember when it dropped. I was like, oh man, this is awesome. This is going to like really supercharge people's learning from it. I'm very, I love it, right? And um, I guess I'm going to pick two uh, casual picks. You know, Jim still has me kind of shook. Um Tomorrow, I don't know when you guys are going to drop this, but tomorrow on Friday is uh, Lucifer drops on Netflix, and I am crazy excited for that. And then two weeks after this, in September, uh, The Boys Season 2 drops on Amazon Prime, and I'm super excited for that. So The Boys Season 2, uh, it's the... I feel like the boys and Project Power right now are the best like comic book stories out there um, because they're putting like that like real spin on comic books versus like the you know of course Superman and Captain America will both be like good guys like no if this like America Superman and Captain America both be jerks like you know they'd be capitalist jerks like Superman would be Donald Trump like in real life like let's just keep it one hundred right. You know, uh, Captain America would be, and that's my favorite character, but I don't even want to think about what he would be in real life. Um, So both those shows are going to be coming out, and I am going to be binging them all. Like, I'm looking for, I have my food, I like my entire binge list ready. I already have the meal I'm going to make. I'm going to make a uh, Hawaiian, uh, Sichuan Hawaiian rice blend with pork belly uh, and pineapple. is to infuse it like i'm gonna be very happy uh, for this and i'm just gonna eat like a giant bowl of like with red peppers and sh- the uh, uh spicy flour that's come that comes from china and pineapple fried rice with pork belly in it and i'm just gonna watch the entire season of lucifer tomorrow all right well stacy what do you have for us all right two picks music picks as usual, I have the first one is um, Suka Fool, uh, Max Cooper Firefly remix um, by a, a menagerie of people. But uh, it's been described as sort of an amalgamation of Indian and Western folk music. It's kind of melancholy and then bubbling jazz like bass, bass line. It's a, it's a very unique track, but I like Max Cooper a lot when I came across this. I thought it was really cool. Uh, and the next pick is a song called Back to the Sky by Olafur Arnolds. And Olafur's a an artist that I really like from Iceland that he does a lot of um, kind of like neoclassical piano stuff. Um, but this is a collaboration he did with another singer-songwriter. Song, uh, and it's it's really beautiful. And the, and the songwriter said that um, kind of inspired by... Uh, 
she just moved, I think, to Reykjavik, and she was looking at the sky, and it was kind of dark, and she felt a little lonely, and she was staring in the sky, and um, it felt like kind of like speaking to someone through the cosmos, which I think all of us maybe, or a lot of us that might still be like self-isolating and quarantining um, and feeling a little lonely, I think the song might resonate a little bit with you. Nice. Augustus, what do you have for us? Sure. Uh, I have two quick picks. Uh, my first pick is a game called Fall Guys. Uh, for those of you who don't know, it's a game that kind of got more viral recently. Uh, it's basically a kid's version of Battle Royale in that you don't you, you, do, you don't shoot each other. You just do these like challenges. And it's it's like Mario Party Battle Royale, essentially. You patch up with a bunch of people in jelly beans costumes. And it's really cute, but it's also very addicting. So highly recommend. Um, and then my second pick, uh, very relevant to this uh, episode, is a YouTube video on intro to AWS Lambda and serverless. I just thought it was a very good talk. Um, and in general, that YouTube that YouTube channel, AWS Services, uh, like I, I feel like they have a lot of really solid videos on AWS stuff. So definitely worth checking out. Awesome. And I have two picks for us in this episode. One is a actually another Netflix original to add to the pile. Chef's Table Barbecue, which is so good. It actually uh, features a restaurant that I've always really wanted to try uh, in Lexington, Texas. There's a barbecue place that just sounds like so amazing called Snow's Barbecue. The main pit cook is uh her name is tootsie and she's 85 years old and still cooking like it's so amazing that's um, incredible so i yeah it's it's pretty amazing the first episode is on the lexington uh texas place tootsie uh it's amazing i really enjoyed it i'm not fully done the series yet but i highly recommend it and then I have another one for cocktails. I've been trying to find a good app for recipes for cocktails and found an interesting one called Mixel. So it's M-I-X-E-L, cocktail app. It's great. So I highly recommend checking that out. It's kind of cool. It has like a pixel vibe to it too, which is great. So before we end the episode, I want to thank Jerome. Thanks so much for joining us. It was a pleasure having you on. Where can people get in touch with you? Oh, yeah. You guys can find me at Jerome Hardaway. On Twitter, that's where I'm at most of the time. And I would love to like talk to you, uh, talk to people about serverless, veterans, uh, people who need help getting their first front end job. Uh, I do like I'm a jack of all trades, right? On um, at least on the front end front. So I'm excited to like, you know, interact. With right on. Thank you all for listening to today's episode. You can find us on frontendhappyhour.com. Subscribe to us on whatever you like to listen to podcasts on. And you can follow us on Twitter at FrontNHH. Any last words? API. API. <laughs> Cheers. Cheers.